Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research, and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas, and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere, and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear, nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Hey everybody, I just got back from a recent research outing and what you are listening to is some ambient sounds around my campfire that I recorded during that very outing. I think it's very fitting that I play this for you all as we delve into the first of a three-part episode that I will be sharing here on Monster Arch Radio. My guest is a Lint Project member Todd Hale. Let's dive in. Got Todd Hale with us. Todd, how you doing, man? Excellent. How are you? Doing great. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny sitting across the room from you, another SoCal guy in Washington sitting across the room for me. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Well, Todd, I know who you are. You've been all over the place and involved in some of the craziest stuff when it comes to this research. Some of the greatest stuff, I think. You know, good friends. You're good friends with Barcatino. <laughs> You're one of the SoCal guys, but uh, you've done a lot of stuff up here in Washington. Now you've been a Limit Project member for a few years. For the audience, give a little background. The choir minds want to know, who is Todd Hale? Well, uh, I've been in the subject my whole life, pretty much, since I was a kid with uh, Leonard Nimoy in search of and the Patterson-Gimlin film and all that, TV shows, documentaries, movies. I think I checked out my first book in fourth grade on the subject and I was always into it until my teenage years. Then I didn't really care. I'm around 22 or 23 years old. I had a friend who told me uh, his dad was into research in the seventies and eighties by the name of Dennis Rumner. And he says, you should come talk to my dad. Well, I told him, a, I told him a story of something that had happened to me in the eighties near big bear, California. He said, you should uh, come and talk to my dad. So I eventually, I was kind of embarrassed, but I eventually went and talked to him and it was pretty cool because back then this is pre-internet. So just 
what do you say? The subject, it wasn't anything like today, right? Right. The internet. You I mean, if you talked about this subject with people, it was in small circles and face to face or actually like on the phone or writing letters. Right. Yeah. So I went to his house and he had a huge library on the subject and he had casts and all kinds of photos. And he had been, I believe he'd been involved with the Bay area group in the seventies. And he had gone up to Bluff Creek a lot and done a lot of research in Southern California. So anyway, he let me borrow one Bigfoot book pretty much at a time. And I, I think he had around 24, 25 books at the time I was reading them and I could not get enough. I was reading all those old school Bigfoot books. And I was like, this is awesome. This like totally renewed my interest. And I started hitting the woods a lot more. We go up to the Sequoias. I go to the, up um, the Kern River. Big oh, yeah. Bear. I did a lot, a lot of camping and fishing, but I wasn't really researching. You know, I would stay up late around the fire. Stay. Up, I would leave the camp area and post a chair like outside a camp in the dark and just kind of hang out, hoping something would come in. But nothing ever did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's that's how I got started. Like in the nineties. It was starting to pick up a lot, and uh, I didn't have a computer. My mom had a computer. The very first thing I looked up on the internet was Bigfoot, <laughs> <laughs> like in 95, I believe. And then later on, you know, the BFRO and all that stuff. And So here we go. We're in 90s, and the research kind of picking up. You're meeting people, right? You're, you're getting involved with people. You're learning the subject matter. Yeah. When did uh, things really, really take off for you? Well, there was another gap in there where I was kind of losing interest. I'm like, I, I would think someone would have found a body by now or, you know, there'd be more evidence. And I was heavily, heavily into my motocross, my racing. And I lived in Long Beach, California, and I just, I was kind of losing interest in it, but. LBC, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I got a pretty bad motocross accident and, uh. I didn't ride anymore. So I was like, what am I going to do with my time? What am I going to do with my time? You know, I was kind of just home on the weekends. I had a baby. So I said, you know what? I want to find out for myself. I want to go see one of these things because then I, when I was home, not working, I had a lot of time to spend on the internet and that kind of renewed everything. Mm -hmm. So in 2008, I got in contact with Cliff and Tom and Terry Smith. Well, Cliff Berrickman, yeah. Tom Yamarone. Yeah. Terry Smith. Yeah. A lot of the audience don't know who that is. <laughs> okay. Um, I went to my first conference in 2008 to Mike Ruggs Museum. I think that was a Bigfoot Discovery Day 2. And that's where I met all the California guys, you know, in person and Bart and this Kathy and Bob Strain and a lot of people there. And I had almost gone on a BFRO expedition in 2004, which I wish I would have, because that's when I would have met Bart and Bobo and everyone four years prior. And I Mm. could have been so much further ahead in the field. But 2008 is actually when it kicked off. And then I started going to local stuff um, out of LA with Terry Smith. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd call Cliff all the time, talk to him. He had just moved up to Oregon around that time. And he was giving me all kinds of good locations to go to in Southern California. <laughs> and I know people are surprised when they hear about Southern California, but 
there's a lot of stuff that goes on down there. Oh, I know. We've yeah. talked. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how we met. I think you uh, listened to one of my podcasts, if I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. and exchanged phone numbers, and we talked a few times. And it was funny because you were researching, investigating some of the same areas I was, and I was shocked that we, at some point in time, didn't bump into each other. Now, I never expected to bump into you at, say, one of these get-togethers up, say, more Northern California discovery dates. I never went to any of that stuff. Yeah. I spent my time, I used to go to Yosemite and all that, but still when we're talking about Southern California, basically, and we were in the same spot time in and time out. It, even sometimes in the same times a year. Yeah. It's pretty funny, huh? That's hilarious. It's funny. And I used to ask Rangers all the time, park Rangers, you know, forest Rangers, um, locals, I would see at a bar or a restaurant. I would just walk up to people and ask them, Hey, um, uh, you know anything about Bigfoot or Sasquatch around here, you know, and I actually don't, I don't do that too often anymore, but I used to do it all the time. And my wife would just roll her eyes like, Oh my <laughs> God, can you stop with this? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm trying to get leads. You know, <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> and, uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I'd met Barton 08, but you know, we don't really know each other then. So then I went to Mike's again in 2010 and I hung out with Bart a lot that weekend, a lot more talking to him about things and, um, and Tom and all the same people in California while I was doing my own little research down South. And by 2012, Tom and Terry invited me on that Bill Munns expedition to Bluff Creek. So pumped. I was for- very fortunate to get invited on that trip because there was a lot of big names on that trip and we were going to be staying at in Laos and Laos camp. Yeah. I'm jealous of that trekking down to the film site and doing a lot of surveying and measuring and a lot of the stuff in Bill Munn's book ended up in that. And we just spent time in Willow Creek with the museum. Oh, and (laughs) that's when uh, Bobcat Goldthwait was, was making his movie just by chance. Yeah. And he was in town. Willow Creek. Yeah. And they asked a lot of us to be in the movie. I declined because I thought they were going to make fun of us. So, Little did you know, it actually turned out to be a pretty good flick. Yeah, after, like during that day, they were filming Cliff and Steven and and Tom around the bookstore and around these other cabins. We kind of spent the day with the film crew. It was cool. They did a, there's a bar scene in that movie that they shoot at night in one of the local bars and we were all there, which is, it's not research, but it was really cool because Bobcat was coming up and asking everybody like all the questions, like, how did you get into this? What do you, you know, what do you think of all this? And he re- was really taking it seriously, which I was, I was shocked. I'm surprised, you know? So that was fun. And then, uh, about a, m- a month later is when I went up to the Sierras with Bart and Roe and Justin and yeah. <laughs> Bart got his thermal. And that was a crazy trip. Well, it's crazy. <laughs> What's crazy is, yeah, uh, we'll get a little bit into that. Yeah. But, uh, for those familiar with Justin Smeha, you were kind of around during that time. You weren't there for the a lot of it, but you, you know, you personally knew Justin Smeha, and of course, uh, Bart was investigating this whole story in that area. And whether you believe not, not talking to you, talking to the audience here, whether you believe Justin Smeha or not, really doesn't matter to me because eventually Bart in that area, I think, struck gold with uh, his Sierra footage, yeah. and you were there. Yep, and. We've never been round and round with people on that. Everyone thinks he was filming us or it was Justin's friends, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Period. <laughs> you know, he wasn't filming us. 
I mean, there's a lot more details to that. That that whole encounter and story, um, I prefer to keep for another show because that right. that's not something you want to scrape over. There's so many elements, so many details that uh, I know Bart has a good YouTube video on the Sierra side. He did, did his due diligence, but no one's ever really heard from Mr. Todd Hale on your experience there. So I, I, I want to keep that for a separate show. Definitely. Honestly, in. I haven't really cared. I don't care about what people think or what people know. And it's I been eight years, almost eight years at this point. We were constantly attacked online by a lot of people. And it was, it was pretty crazy. Bart was, Bart was pretty good with defending everything. I'm not. I was ready to fight people. So yeah. whatever, you know. <laughs> I'm like, nope, I'm not political. I'll kick your ass. Right. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of that I know. No, you're, you're one of the most honest people I know. And uh, I had no idea you were even there. Uh, later on, I found out. Right. I, and we beat this, the whole yeah. thing to death. I mean, between you and I. And one of these days, I had to have you back to talk about that because there's so much to it. I think there's an element there that, from your perspective really adds so much credence to the whole, the whole encounter. But for the audience, for you monster X listeners, you can j- jump on YouTube and find it. Do you remember the, what the title is? Phil Pauling broke it down. Yeah. Phil, Phil Pauling. Pauling broke it down, but I don't know the exact title. Bar Catino thermal yeah. breakdown or something like that. Yeah. It's like 15 minutes long. Yeah. It's excellent though. It's excellent. A lot of people don't know that the Todd they're talking about in there is me, but <laughs> It never really bothered me. I don't go around saying, that was me. That was me. You know, you're not an attention whore. Don't uh, care. Anything else, Todd, you want to throw in there before we kind of get into our main topic? You want to um, describe yourself, your appearance? Well, uh, <laughs> well, I moved to Washington in August of 2015. And what? I'm almost five years here. Yeah. And it's kind of funny when you watch all the old TV shows or the documentaries or the movies, when you think about Washington, you think like every time when I moved here, every time I'm driving to work, I thought I was going to see a Sasquatch like cross the road because <laughs> everywhere looks like squatchy, right? Like right. quote unquote squatchy. Oh, it's squatchy. It's this squatchy, that. But you sur- soon learn that like everywhere's woods, everywhere's trees. I mean, I've only seen a bear one time in five years and that was on one of our night trips up at the property remember oh i remember yeah (laughs) i have never seen a bear they're all over by my house people see them all the time i don't know how i've never seen i've never seen a cougar i see a lot of deer a lot of elk you know plenty of other animals but no now i'm just kind of brazen just driving down these these uh forest roads and everything yeah and sometimes you get a little little bit lazy and it'll bite you in the ass. <laughs> yeah, and and I know I'm I'm very 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 guilty of that. Man, you just when you let go of the let go of the pedal, something happens, and it doesn't happen all the time. But sometimes the biggest things happen so quick, and you're ill prepared. I think with our recent outing, we were kind of middle of the road prepared because yeah. we it was a quick trip in and out. Yep. So um, let's dive into that. Uh, you know, obviously. You know, you landed up in Washington. You got involved with the Olympic Project. Yeah. Yeah. That was in May of 17. So just over three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a, a roller coaster ride, hasn't it? We've had, we've had a lot of cool stuff happen. Yeah. On some of those trips. Yeah. We have. Uh, you've been one of the individuals that was invited out to view the original 
nest site. You've been out there more than once. You've been out there uh, quite a few times. Yes. And uh, got to witness the area itself, what it takes to get in and out of that area, the plant life, the nest themselves, the, the creek. And so you got to view that. It was kind of cool. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes I got to kick myself because everyone wants to know about these nests. Everyone wants to know where they are. And I, I sometimes still can't believe that Derek invited me out there, even though I was a newer uh, member. Like one, one day I just called him random. I think it was like the new year, you know, after the holidays. And I'm like, Hey Derek, uh, what do you guys have planned? What are we going to be doing coming up? You know, the, the weather's bad, <laughs> but we do a lot of stuff in bad weather. It doesn't matter. Right. No. We do a lot of hiking. You get nothing done. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's pretty bad. And he's like, Oh, we're going to be going to the nest. Um, next month we're planning to go to the nest. If you want to come along, you're welcome to come. And I was like, Holy crap. Seriously. I go, I'll be there no matter what. And that was the first time I got to go. Yeah. And you were there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so that was, um, what about over two years ago. So February, oh, yeah. February two years ago, so yeah. 28 months ago. And, um, yeah, it is hard to get down there and it is brutal. And just like he describes in, on shows or, you know, in his conferences, it's bushwhacking. It's, it'll kick your butt and it's, there's no level ground, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, no. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And we do a lot of hiking and I walk six to eight miles a day at work, you right. know, on a construction site. Up so. and down stairs and all that. Yeah. Right. And that has nothing on going down to the nest with all the, huckleberry and the branches and the roots and the trees and everything it'll kick your butt yeah for yeah. sure now we've been working on this night site this older nest site for a number of years since about 2016 and it's been quite the trip we've learned a lot one of our goals as an organization within the limb project is to okay to replicate the spine there's got to be even if they're rare, like Sasquatch, even these nests are rare, regardless of what makes them, there's got to be more nests out there. We were studying the nest site by itself, but then we started getting out there in 2017 looking for new nests. We started looking for new nests, still scouring the same area, but looking in adjacent ravines, sometimes miles apart, sometimes a few thousand feet apart. And that was kind of our goal was to not only study this area, get to know everything in this area, which we were pretty familiar with anyways but kind of see if we could find any sort of nest, either a newer nest, which was always the goal, or just a, a newer nest to us that was maybe much older, maybe several years older. And so that was our goal. And I, Todd, you've been out on many of those trips, uh, yeah. checking out different fingers, different areas. And though we found, I know you and I found many neat little tidbits, you know, whether it was some interesting impressions, mm -hmm. possible bedding areas, but not really a nest. Uh, yeah. We couldn't throw out the window that it wasn't a bear. In fact, I still have some of those hairs I need to send off to get <laughs> visually analyzed with uh, Cindy Dosen. But you were there for many of those trips, and we've been doing this for quite a few years now. Yeah. Yeah, tidbits. We found, we found quite a few impressions in there in the older nest area. Mm -hmm. You know, that one time we were with Chris and Rebecca and Gunner, we found that, that large impression that was what – around 18, 18 and a half inches, about 18 and a half inches. Yeah. And we found others that are around 14 ish, 
that's the neat thing about this area, though. We found we have found multiple impressions of various sizes, yep. and and sometimes you may you'll find the same impression the following year in close proximity to the other ones. I was I took Doctor well Doctor Meldrum's been out there a couple of times now, out to the area, and I remember we we're hiking along and. And I came across a really interesting impression below the primary nest site, the original nest site. And I asked Dr. Melvin to check it out. And he did. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable. That's, that's impressive. I'm comfortable calling that, you know, a track. Definitely. And we have some of those, we have some casts in our possession uh, more now. And we'll get into that. Obviously studying this nest site area for a number of years, the original nest site area, the primary nest site area over multiple fingers, we're starting to see as I've talked about on the show before, we're starting to see nature take over. You know, animals are dispersing the nest. Nature's taking over. The weather's destroying them. We've taken samples out of these nests. And so they're starting to look less and less like nests. They're right. starting to look more like uh, uh, sticks lying on the ground. In a, you know, but the, the impressions still are. The, the ground impressions, whether they were kind of dug out or just the sheer weight of what it was in them. Yeah. That's still kind of there. Our goal for... a number of years is still our goal, but our goal was to find evidence of more nests somewhere else, whether it's in that area or a completely different area on the peninsula in the Olympics or anywhere for that matter. I don't care if it's in another state, but we're so focused on the Olympics, basically, especially the east side of the Olympics. That's kind of been our, our target area because really though we were finding impressions, we were finding certain other things we weren't really for a number of years, you know, from 2017 upwards, weren't finding any, and we searched, I know Derek and I particularly searched miles and miles and ridges and fingers and weren't finding, even though we, we thought we we're in the right area and there should be something there. We weren't finding more nests. Right. I was wondering, well, yeah. where'd these things go? Right. Or was this just a temporary deal on their travel route or, you know, are they going North? Are they going South? I mean, what's going on? Where? Why, why were they here and where did they go kind of deal, Yeah. right? Just well, we know why they were there, but I mean, that exact location, like you would think they should be in that area at least the following year at that time. When you say they, to clarify here, are you saying Sasquatch made those nests? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I have no, no problem saying that. <laughs> when you're there and you see these things in person, the way they were built and what it took to do it and the height of the huckleberry that's been snapped off with an opposable thumb, mind you. Right. Come on. I'm right there with you. Obviously they're not, in my opinion, weren't in the area for a while. Maybe they came through, maybe one came to, I have no idea. I have no idea. We were finding impressions periodically. We were getting vocalizations on, on recorder. Where did they go? And it's a vast area. So, I mean, it's not like, okay, <laughs> we're going to figure this out. You know, many times out there, we weren't finding dilly squat. We weren't capturing anything on audio. Many trips, many over, you know, right. nights, camping trips and be hiking trips. Weren't finding dilly squat. I mean. Another issue is I'm pretty much a weekend warrior. Yeah, right? I know. You're, you're a hard Wife, worker. Kids, full-time job. It's not like we're paid scientists to be out there for a month or something. It's, it's impossible. You know, I can't take off. I'm not taking off work. How about you do a GoFundMe? That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Who's going to fund me? <laughs> I know. That was a joke, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Go fund Todd for Bigfoot Go, research. Yeah. So. Pay my research. So, <laughs> yeah, there are some people out there like that, aren't there? Yeah. No, I don't need anybody's money. 
And social media is not research. What? You wouldn't know what anything I'm doing according to my Facebook or Instagram or YouTube for that matter. I haven't posted a YouTube video for eight years and I'm still getting subscribers, but <laughs> I don't post any of my research stuff on Facebook anymore because of all the trolls. If I post any pictures out in nature if from any of our trips, it'll just be like a nature pic, right? Yeah. Oh, look at this tree. Look at this fern. I don't think it's, I I don't think the trolls really bother you as much. I think really it's just, you're more of a private guy and you just don't give a rip. You're in it for yourself. You're in it for the subject matter. I think that's truly, but you know, the trolls or whatever. We've got a, a lot of casts and a lot of audio that aren't out there. Oh, absolutely. Only a select few people have heard or seen this stuff. I don't care. (laughs) I like your attitude for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I'm a member of the OP. That's right. And that's how I got invited to the nest. No, I, I'm pretty convinced of that, right? Yeah, that's, you nailed it there. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But uh, let's get into, like I said, our, our, our main topic tonight. Now that I think people are uh, get to know a little Todd Hill here. <laughs> Finally, I've been trying to get this guy in the studio or on the phone forever. He's such a stickler. But I get it. I get it. He's, he's a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, let's get into it. So, okay. Yeah, we were at Sasquatch Summit. I was talking to Derek and we were talking about we just we need to find new nests. We know we can find new nests. We can't go to the same spots. Let's look in a new area adjacent or, you know, close. And we know the pattern. We know where these nests should be. Should be. Yeah. So we're waiting for the holidays and everything to pass because that's when in November. We're planning for the year of 20, like right. in the spring and summer of 20, we are going to hit it hard and we're going to find more nests. We knew we could do it. Right. And we're waiting for the holidays. You go through Christmas and New Year's, you're waiting for all the snow and everything. So we talked about it again at Squatch Fest in Kelso. In January. Derek and I did. And he's like, we, we got to find new nests. We can do it. Let's, let's do it. So uh, Sasquatch Summit. Is in November. Yeah. So then you get into Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and the weather is really bad and oh, it's yeah. cold and, you know, you're going through all the holidays. So we're planning on starting. We usually start everything up around in February, right? Because January is still pretty bad. Well, there's also a reason for February real quick is that we considered that the nests were, the, the original nest site was actually constructed between November and November and February based on, on Salmon Run, based on some of the late blooms of huckleberry in this area yes so i thought man november to february and then i think Derek was kind of on board but Derek was actually i think really honestly was leaning towards january february mm-hmm. and that made a lot of sense because you get salmon runs up there at that time of year as well so february was a month even though we'd been looking we did go do some searching in november and december a little bit in january but uh, it really picked up in february we, we also had a, a trip out with Isaac Tien and Darren Locke. We invited they, those guys. Um, Isaac Tien is, of course, a Olymp Project member. Darren Locke is a good friend of ours. He's come to a couple of our expeditions, our public ones. He's a good friend of ours, and he wanted to do some hiking and camping. So we invited him out as well as Isaac Tien to uh, get out and do a little camping, a little exploring in the general area of the, the older nest site, the original nest site find. And that was, that was actually a really fun trip. We had great weather. It was a little wet. Those guys, I don't know if they were completely uh, prepared 
for the terrain. <laughs> I know it was a lot of falling, a lot of cussing, but it was really nice to have them out there. And I got a lot of respect for Isaac Tian. And that trip, we also got all the way down to the creek. And you and I do that all the time. And then we go up a different direction that's much more difficult. Much steeper. Right. Yeah, it's an absolute We kind of have a loop that we've done a few times. But we were down by the creek looking for tracks. And then we moseyed up one of the other ridges, you know, towards uh, one of the larger nests. Yeah. I think it's the nest that, um, well, obviously Meldrum and Cliff have been there. But it's one of the larger nests that, like, one of the eight foot nests yeah it's like one. it's almost nine feet it, it and it's it's wide it's big it actually is the largest yeah, nest that we've found to date that happened to be all by itself except i did happen to find in that area a what i call a bush nest i mean it's a, it mirrors the ground nest but it's right there so it wasn't completely solo but it was different and unique because most of the other finger ridges had multiple nests, whereas this one just ha- seemed to have the one, but I did find a bush, the second, the only other bush nest we found off the ground, a couple of feet that mirrored the ground nest, but it was in the bush. So I think that's fascinating, but that's, you're, you're right. We and made it all the way down to the creek and all the way up there. And that's it, quite a trek. We uh, did SD cards and, and uh, batteries on the cameras in the camp. So yeah, we had a dummy camp set up to see, you know, just an, an experiment out there we set up a dummy camp derek and i did which we shared all this during one of um, our, our conferences that we had, we spoke at we did a dummy camp just to you know set up a dummy tent you know, camp chair and all that just to see what goes through there it's still kind of ongoing well, i know we got to go back down there and service some cameras and replace some cameras and all that but anyways just an experiment yeah we showed them that area and we also found impressions that day that day three actually three impressions and one of them was really deep <laughs> and the thing about those impressions we found one down in the creek which was a, a possible impression i'll say it was a smaller size impression that looked like a little foot still on the fence about that one the one on the log yeah that is very strange i have pictures that yeah it's very strange very it's very strange weird it looked just like a little foot it looked just like a little foot the one that really stuck out to me was further up the hill right away from the creek yep and there was actually and actually the other definitely the other two to three we found there was one with a definite heel mark very deep almost a perfect foot i have a lot of pictures i even have a video of that one and i i ran my phone over it like 180 degrees with the video rolling to get a full 3d video of what it looked like and we scaled that one and we could see that impression from pretty high up Actually, it was, I mean, plain as day, there's, there's a track. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. You guys were up on the hill, and yeah. I started coming down the hill, and I noticed this fallen tree, and there's this huge root stump stinking out of the ground. And right behind this stump, from where I was standing, which was quite a ways up, I could see almost like the shiny, you know, the shininess of the soil. Mm-hmm. Even from there, I could tell that was an impression of some sorts. Yeah. And there happened to be, I think, one and there was a second one and then it went into but the second one was not near as pristine as the the first one but then it went off into like the the debris which you know yeah you're not going to see dilly squat but that one was impressive and and then there was one on the slope we found as well yeah my personal opinion was that was very fresh yeah and if we're gonna move on from that particular day i mean we can go into the evening but on our way out of there climbing up the ridge i heard three wood knocks behind us so it turns out the direction I heard the wood knocks 
was towards the new nest right area yeah yeah because like i said we're from where we were hiking with isaac and darren we're a couple thousand feet away it doesn't sound like much and it really isn't but in that terrain it's definitely nothing you're gonna be running through (laughs) at least not us as humans and like i said i'm i'm pretty uh deaf i'm pretty hard of hearing and those guys didn't hear it because they were hiking you know you're bushwhacking kind of deal and you're breathing pretty hard it's pretty steep incline but i had stopped Mm -hmm. and when i stopped just by chance i heard those three wood knocks and i was like holy crap if i can hear it it's pretty good yeah (laughs) yeah no it really is (laughs) and i just i told you i think i just heard three wood knocks behind me up on it would be the other side of the ridge yeah you know the other side of the ravine i mean i mean what do you say so we keep moving on what am i supposed to do you know yeah i mean we're not going to go back down to the ravine and and hike over there uh you know no not going to happen the train is that is brutal if you had to go up the other side too interesting you heard those knocks though from that side i put that together uh two weeks later so we go back to camp and we set up our fire you know kind of making dinner kind of thing yeah and then derek showed up to hang out and i want to talk about that buck and this has happened to me before mm -hmm. i know sierras in the sierras and that's what you were talking about when we had isaac and darren out we did a a one-nighter in that area and Derek drove a long ways to come out and visit us to hang out for the evening to go over some of the logistics of the area and uh, catch up with with Todd and Darren and Isaac because you know we don't get to see each other that often and we're hanging around the campfire talking and I went to go set up some audio you know maybe 30 40 50 yards away from our camp down the trail and on my way back I heard something moving in the bushes and I came back up to camp and I said, yeah, I hear something over here. So I went back down there and this thing jumped up and started skipping, you know, kind of skipping almost, you know, like a prance. End up being, no doubt about it, it was a buck. It was a deer. What was weird was it was so close to our camp, like very close to our camp. Yep. And I'm not had that happen before quite like that. It was that close to our camp and it took me getting like really close to it to spook it, which just kind of threw me for a loop. And we all kind of thought about it. You know, it was kind of weird. I mean, it really was. It was weird. I've, I've jumped deer. I've spooked them. Yeah. We were at that camp for a while. Mm-hmm. And we were being kind of noisy. I mean, we weren't quite. We had a fire going. We're chopping wood. We're cooking. There was no reason for that buck to hunker down next to our camp. I just thought it was odd. It, it is odd. On these trips, I never try and be uh, stealthy or quiet. I just act like I'm camping like any other camper would. I just act normal. If the squatches are around, they know you're there. I mean, you're Absolutely. not going to sneak. You're not going to be in your camp and sneak up on these things ever. They hear you driving in from a mile away. You're making all kinds of noise in the bed of your truck. They know you're there. Every exactly. animal knows you're there. You're not going to surprise or sneak up on anything. So we just act normal. Yeah, it sounds like we're on a hunting trip. Man, do I get junk for people like see me in my my uh, camouflage stuff. And, oh, you're, you're going to hide from Sasquatch? I'm like, no, this is my hunting. This is my outdoor, <laughs> comfy, outdoor clothing that keeps me dry and warm. And it's comfy. And I don't care if I get it dirty. Right, you know? Right. That's why I wear it. I'm not trying to hide from What a joke. What I do try to do is be either predictable or unpredictable in the scenario. So I know, that's why I love Bart Catino. You know, he loves doing the whole, you have the camp right there and you peel away. You peel away. I know Matt Pruitt's talked about this and Cliff Bergman's talked about this, about, you know, Sasquatch 
not being able to track multiple groups. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think there's something to it. So uh, I guess we got a little sidetracked there, but that, yeah, that's kind of our mind frame. Um, I thought the deer thing was unusual. It was weird. Could have been just, you know, a freak chance, but at the time I was, I've seen a kind of a picture develop in my head and my brain, you know, why that deer might've come closer to us. Cause how many reports and stories have you heard of the deer paying no attention to the human and because it's either being chased by a Sasquatch or there's some sort of predator around that they're thinking, okay, I'm safer here than what's behind me or what's chasing me. I mean, all the time. Yeah. And I, that's happened to me firsthand. And yes, uh, Sierra's. My, my buddy's dad, it happened to him at Bluff Creek at a Deer Lick Lake. And there was something circling him and he said it was no bear. Yeah. You there's, there's, there's something to that. It might make a great topic for a future show because there's something to that. Definitely. Yeah. Where the deer just feels more comfortable. Like you're not a threat. Whereas, you know, you're the lesser of two evils. You're that's the- for sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I was saying before, our, one of our main goals and why you trek so far to come out and visit the Olympics, especially where you're at up here in Washington, it's quite a drive. One of our main goals was to find, replicate a find of nests period. So Derek and I, early February, started looking in a new, well, here's how the story goes real quick. Derek contacted me, goes, hey, you know, there's a, another ravine. I've been around, but I'm not really researched this ravine. You know, we've seen it on the map. It looks very similar. And so he sent me the, the Google shot of it. And I said, why the heck have we not searched that before? said, well, you want to go? And it was kind of rainy that day and windy and a little bit of snow on the ground. And so it was kind of miserable, but I said, what the heck? Let's get in the woods. Let's go search. So Derek and I head out a couple of thousand feet away from the original nest site area. I mean, it seems much further away, but logistically speaking, as the crow flies, it's not, it's not that far away. This happened to be a pretty, another deep ravine area with uh, very thick huckleberry, all the same characteristics as the original nest site thick bushes, trees, and all that stuff. Quite a hike in. Got a major drainage system. Same, The same ravine, the same river that goes through this area. And it had fingers and stuff. So as we're getting up there and get over uh, the main ravine area, I start seeing and Derek starts seeing some really unique game trails in this area. What was most intriguing to Derek and I is we came across one or two different spots along maybe two or three different spots along this particular ravine. What looked like older, much older nests, maybe two, three, four years older than the original nest site. Very dilapidated, very dilapidated, but very similar to the original nest site. It was one of those things where you're like, is it or is it not? It was really hard to tell because the, the, the huckleberry, though there was some breakage in that area, had grown back. And so we were just kind of scratching our heads. There was one or two, we were pretty confident, one or two particular nests or possible nests, you know, formations that we thought these are, these are probably old nests, but maybe not. We could be wrong, but they were very similar. So it gave us hope. We thought, well, shoot, maybe for the first time in all these years, maybe we've come across older nests along another ravine, all the same characteristics. So we, we spent a few hours out there searching up and down and all around and thought, man, this is a really cool area. It's a really neat area. And I'll be honest, we did hear some odd, one or two odd knocking percussive sounds, an odd vocal. You know, I mean, it is what it is. 
Now, uh, one of the other interesting things in this area as well, I, I was going on over the hillside, over the other side, down towards the ravine, and right below this hillside, near where one of these possible older nests were, these older nests were, uh, was a thoroughbred of an area. It was completely flattened. Um, there was game trails coming in and out of it, but it was so weird because it was almost, it was so flat and, you know, maybe five, six feet wide. It almost looked like a heavy piece of machinery would have to have done this flatness. Uh, it was so flat and it was shiny. Something had been moving through there. And it's an area that I really want to stick with game camera. I have not been back to that spot, but it was really interesting. I don't, I still don't know what to make of it. And I'm not saying you had Sasquatch over there, you know, stomping its feet around. I'm just saying it was just interesting regardless of what did it or how it came to be. It was such a wide little area, but the game trail, you know, narrowed leaving it. So, I mean, it was still a game trail, but it was just a really wide, flat area. I thought it was really odd. And Todd, you've yet to see that. I got to take you out there and show you that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's interesting. We, were, we got caught up with something else, right? <laughs> we, we, we got caught up with something else. So... Derek and I had searched this area. We were pretty happy with some of the findings we came across, thinking that there's a possibility that, a good possibility, we came across some old nests, but new nests to us. I mean, much older nests. You know, like I said, two to four years older than the original nest site. So we were pretty happy because we hadn't found anything that looked even remotely similar to the, the original nest find. Nothing. So this gave us hope. And I thought, well, shoot, this is a, you know, with, with the, some of the vocals we heard, the percussives, with these possible much older nests, with the time of year being February, I thought, we got to come back out here. And so I wanted to explore that area more. And I got on the phone to Todd, and we talked about this over the phone. We kind of made a plan to get back out there. Now, this is an area that I've been remotely visiting. I haven't been hiking in there myself, per se. Fast forward, what, two weeks? And yeah. uh, you're you're um, you're on your way out, and you and I are going to do a camping trip. We also scouted a different area down by the creek. I skipped that. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, I skipped that. You're right. This was prior. Yeah, we uh, we went out to the the area, and we were scouting different areas, trying to figure out where we wanted to set up our tents and stuff that night, but and where we actually wanted to look around. But that area. I wasn't feeling that area because there was a lot of ice on the ground and there was, we were too close to the creek. There were no, no animal sign yeah. and it was still a little bit too frozen. So we went up higher in elevation, which sounds backwards, but the higher elevation was actually a little wetter, not frozen. It was a little wetter. It was a little warmer. Yeah. And we were definitely a little bit further away from the creek because the one thing I hate to do when I'm camp, I like to do that when I'm camping in that mode. Yeah. When I'm actually out there trying to, to listen and study right. and observe and record. The last thing you want to do is camp next to a river or a creek because you're not going to hear anything. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. And that was cut, that little area is kind of like a dead end right there. There's not not very many places you can explore. You're kind of right. just one way out. Where I just said, let's go up where we where you guys found those older nests and let's explore that area. And and when we got up there, I'm like, oh yeah, this looks cool. This looks good. Yeah, I, like I mean, this. down below, like you said, that that lower location that we were contemplating camping in, it's a beautiful area. But even the, you know, when you think about the huckleberry and the the, the, the growth down there, it was completely different. Right. There was the salal, there's more salal, but it was lower. The huckleberry was kind of here or there, sporadic, wasn't very high. Whereas the location that we end up coming across, which was 
kind of like when we got there, we both felt it like, oh yeah, this is it. By this time, it's what, like 3.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. We get down to this area, a little bit higher elevation. We, uh, we were contemplating setting up camp. Instead of setting up camp, we figured we could do that when we get back. Let's go explore. Let's go explore. My main goal for that late afternoon was just to show you the ravine that Derek and I were exploring. So that the following day, right. we're going to get up early. We're going to go explore this area, the whole ravine. Areas that uh, maybe Derek and I had missed, which wouldn't have been much. But my main goal was to take you down the straightest path I could to the ravine, show you the ravine, and then turn around, come back to camp, and set up camp before it got dark, get a fire going, get our thermal equipment going, our audio stuff, which we had some going at camp already. That was the goal. Uh, when we were at camp, you know, before we headed down, I walked down this particular trail a little ways. You were back at camp. I heard what I considered to be a, like a whoop. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those scenarios where I was like, did I really just hear that? Because it was, it was probably about, you know, 100 to 150 yards away. It sounded just like a classic whoop. And I, I wanted to ride it off. I thought, shoot, that was a, a rather interesting. And so came back, walked back down the trail to you. You were getting your backpack on, getting ready to go hiking. I said, did you hear that? You did not hear it, of course. It, I wouldn't say it was super loud, but it was just one almost crystal clear whoop sort of thing. You didn't hear it, but you're half deaf anyways. I'm deaf. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Too many years of instruments, surfing, and construction. Yeah, that'll, that'll do a number. So, probably turned out to be one because... Given the, what we are going to get into, I have, uh, yeah, I got my opinions on that. <laughs> there was a... Uh, a lot that went on. Yeah. Thanks for listening in and stay tuned for the second episode of this three-part series as we delve deeper into this unfolding story. <laughs>